Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Radio Mushtar FM 89.6. Today in the studio, we are Francesca, Xenia, and Florian. Hello, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great start. Hello. Hello. Okay, in today's World Politics program, we have decided to talk about kings and queens. In fact, we will not speak of the Middle Ages, of territories to be conquered, or of arranged marriages. But we are going to talk about the sovereigns who still survived in Europe and in the world in 2021. We don't think about it often, maybe, but while we are now in the third millennium, there are countries that are not yet a democracy. And power is rooted around an institution, the monarchical one, in which the privileges of a bygone era, they are artificially handed down to a single family. Before going into the merits, I would like to start with general knowledge questions <laughs> about the monarchy today. So guys, are you ready? Of course. I'm so bad in history. Oh. <laughs> But I will try. We can try. For example, which rulers have you heard the most about recently? The Queen Elizabeth. I think is mm, the most course. known queen in the world. And... <laughs> And uh, that's for, all. <laughs> for me, the same. <laughs> yeah, also the first thing uh, that comes to my mind is the British royal family, for sure. And I even think that this is only one royal family which members' names I can say. Because, for example, I know also there is monarchy in some for example, Scandinavian countries, but I have no idea about names of queens, kings, and so on. The same. <laughs> but for example, in your countries, I don't know, do media speak about uh, this information? I don't know. Actually, I don't watch uh, TV in general, and uh, I don't really often read uh, Russian media because usually I read independent Russian media and they usually observe some events in Russia. So they, how to say, concentrate <laughs> on like um, inner problems more. So for these reasons, I don't really know a lot about rulers in the world. <laughs> In France, we have a, a long past with king and queen that we'll speak uh, after, but um, it depends on the country. Of course, when something happens in Great Britain, all the media will speak about this, but I don't read the media and don't watch the TV. Mm. I prefer Twitter. It's more Ashley than the actual. <laughs> but even in uh, social media yes. like Twitter, you quite often can uh, meet some tweets or something memes about <laughs> yes. British uh, of course because we're French members. <laughs> yes yes uh, but not for example something about Norway royal family oh no. uh, yeah and the second one that I know is the Prince of Monaco uh-huh. because it's just in France yeah. so it's, it's <laughs> and a- maybe Belgium right Uh, n- not Belgium. No. I think we're even cousins or something like that. Maybe I'm mistaken. I'm not I, sure. I'm that's, not sure. that's like how we are bad <laughs> in this topic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For me, for example, it's strange, especially when um, I think of uh, neighboring countries like Spain. Mm-hmm. For example, mm. I didn't know Spain 
is a monarchy, for example. Yes, the same. <laughs> Honestly, I found out it only this year when we had discussed something with guys from Spain and they mentioned in this uh, conversation something about the king and I was like, oh, really? You have a king? Like, still? <laughs> yeah, that was a big surprise. Yes. For me, I just forgot that they got a king in Spain. <laughs> But what about Italy? The Italian media speak mostly of the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. But recently, I don't remember airing news about the sovereigns of the other countries. But for example, do you remember the marriage of Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan Markle? Yeah, of for sure. Of course, that was on television. <laughs> yeah, and also um, Meghan and Harry's interview this uh, year. I think it was a very talked about event. So, yes. Yes, this event had a global audience of around 2 billion people. And, for example, the media in Italy have been talking about it for days, mm -hmm. maybe weeks. And any spectator was attracted, at least for a few minutes, by the glories for the last great event at the Windsor House. Uh, yet, if we look uh, at any public appearance, the English royal family is greeted with screams shouts and emotion, mm -hmm. the affection reserved for royalty may seem unwarranted. Because, guys, do they do something to deserve it? Oh, that's a controversial oh. question. <laughs> This is deserved to be king or queen? That's the question. Okay, for me, it's complicated to answer. I don't, I don't really know for this one. Because be they don't work. Yeah, I yeah, but some people, uh, <laughs> I think including royal family members, think that royal duties is also a work and hard work. <laughs> so we don't really know. I mean, no of us. <laughs> we are not queen or kings. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> I would like to try. <laughs> but of course, not everyone is a fan of the monarchy. According to an Ipsos poll, a percentage of Britain's inhabitants would like the United Kingdom to stop being a monarchy and become a republic. Oh, really? Because I had found before this uh, record another numbers and I will tell you later and we will compare because that's really interesting how actually these polls are made and Like, it depends, you know, results depend on, for example... Which people did you ask? Yes, source. Because my numbers from British source. And, you know, results are really different. But we will talk about later. <laughs> and, okay, we can go for another question. For example, according to you, are the monarchies just gossip or do they also have a political role? So do you think that in the 21st century, among other things, do they perform an almost only ornamental public function? I think, like always, it depends on the country. For me, for the Great Britain, because we picked the, the most closest one, is both. For me, royal family don't have any political role clearly said, but I think there are some roles in politics and gossip also because British loves to follow the gossip about the great the queens and all the royal family my opinion <laughs> I don't know for 
the other. I think, for example, in Japan, it's a monarchy, but it's a, an empire. Yes, it's an empire in Japan. It's, I think it's quite different. It's more for gossip than political world, but I don't really know. I think if we are talking about constitutional monarchy, like in the most of European countries, maybe in every, I think, yes. I don't see that these people have a real political role. So it's, um, I don't know, it's more about some traditions like ceremonials and some these events maybe for unity the nation and uh, yes. So in my opinion, uh, they don't have a political role or at least visible how to say, noticeable. So maybe mm. they somehow rule, but, you know, <laughs> under the shadow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree with uh, with you. And, okay, I can speak about uh, Great Britain because maybe I know better this country than others. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> again, and I think it's the most uh, easy example now to do in this case. But, okay, the history of the British monarchy dates back more than a thousand years. But uh, the parliamentary monarchy system, as we know it today, in which the mm -hmm. king reigns but doesn't govern, dates back to 1215, when the Magna Carta was established. And House of Commons and House of Lords, the two houses of Parliament, or of course, with the passage of time, the powers of the monarch have gradually diminished. And today they are to be considered practically useless on a political level. Mm -hmm. The Queen just ratifies the laws and approves whatever comes out of Parliament. And today, the royal family is considered to be a collection of smiling celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> It's awful to consider people like a collection of something for me. <laughs> But yes, it's kind of. And um, Robert Lassie, historical consultant for the Netflix series The Crown. <gasps> By the way, have you seen it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no? No, from, I, I don't see The Crown. My parents saw The Crown, but mm -hmm. not me. Okay, and you? You have seen it? Yes. Uh, did you like it? Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I'm planning because uh, I read a lot of uh, good reviews. So, okay, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> It's uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> so, this man defines them as promoters of the B-Squad. They are invited to the opening ceremonies uh, of a factory or a hospital. They dress elegantly. They rarely have inappropriate attitudes. It's expected that the more young people engage in charitable activities, uh, sleep in their castle, uh, the queen wears a crown, uh, sits on a throne and gives awards and honors by patting the shoulders. So they are nice. Actually, <laughs> Royal family. Yeah. It's uh, so maybe that's the reason why so many people really like to follow them. Even, for example, I don't know, now, This breed of dogs, corgi, do you ah, know? the corgi. They're yeah. really popular just because the uh, <laughs> British royal family have, like, Queen Elizabeth has these dogs. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, they have maybe not a political role, but a big influence. At this point, we can ask each other if they are not needed, why do they exist and resist? And um, why are the British so devoted to the monarchy 
I think to trace the meaning and sense of existence of an institution such as the monarchical one, therefore one must not rely on the degree of power they hold. For the British, in fact, this meaning is more irrational than rational. I read an article in which Easton speculated that with the decline of colonial power and the wealth of the empire, there was a growing desire to define greatness as something other than wealth and territory. For us, Britain wanted to believe that it was inherently special. And um, furthermore, okay, it's true that politicians come and go, they can change. But while the nation has been shaken by crises, upheavals and wars, the royal family has created a sense of continuity, as Xenia you said before, and unity to which the population has clung to in times of war and pride in times of peace. In Italy, I can speak for my country, although there is the um, Republic, we have never had this kind, this type of stability, especially in recent years. And um, the most important uh, figure is the President of the Republic. He struggles to represent the unity of the nation, of the country, due to perennial political instability, the constant change of governments and the majority and the fragmentation of political parties. It's exactly the same in France. Okay. <laughs> We have our president and the prime minister. And yes, they struggle to keep the nation uh, unit. We have a lots of riots, even right now. Every Sunday or Saturday, we got some riots. Not everywhere in France, but in some big cities. But for me, for the British, it's symbolic. We do not forget that the British Empire was the most biggest empire of the world there was everywhere in the world and right now it's just the Great Britain but they have also the Commonwealth with the Canada the Australia New Zealand uh, not India but all these kind of countries so they got a lot of power in the history and even right now they got a lot of power so maybe that's why they keep this monarchy this type of monarchy So, guys, I actually can add more information about British monarchy because, yeah, as we have already discussed, this monarchy is more familiar to us. I mean, we maybe know more about this country than about others. So, Francesca, you started speaking about some reasons why this monarchy survived and... Uh, Let's look at the reasons with a specific example. So, why the British monarchy has survived? First reason, the king and queen's authority is limited. A reality that helped the British monarchy survive the age of revolutions, a time when royal heads rolled. Yes, Florian. <laughs> <laughs> That's about your history. Oh, what? <laughs> about rolled heads. <laughs> ah, yes. the rolled head, yes. So, the age of revolutions, which lasted from the late of 18th century to early 19th century, was an anxious time for monarchies. After all, it was an era in which institutions were upended, for better or for worse. American colonists cast off their ties to the British Empire And the French abolished their monarchy and took the heads of King Louis and Queen Marie Antoinette. So, why did the British crown persevere? 
Britain's monarchy was completely different from France's, for example. While France was an absolute monarchy in the century before the French Revolution, Britain placed boundaries on its monarch in the form of the Bill of Rights of 1689, which took away some regal authority. Ironically, the very laws that limited the monarchy's power helped preserve it. That sounds logically, actually. Yes, in France we have the absolute monarchy that we say no, unlimited power of the for the king. Mm-hmm. And, and it <laughs> and it's and it's is, badly. The end is badly. <laughs> yeah. One more reason, the monarchy has represented stability, as you also, Francesca, already mentioned, and reassurance in times of crisis. The 20th and 21st century monarchy transitioned into an institution primarily interested in serving its subjects. I believe that Queen Elizabeth articulated in 1947 when she was still princess. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. To that end, the royal family patronizes charities and sheds light on issues affecting British and Commonwealth subjects. Historically, the royal family has also placed an important role in boosting morale in times of crisis. During the Blitz, the German air forces targeted relentless bombing of British cities during the Second World War. The royal family offered support in the form of visits to impacted subjects and uh, radio addresses. And more recently, Queen Elizabeth delivered an address to the nation and Commonwealth on the 5th of April 2020 regarding the coronavirus pandemic, in which she called the unity and evoked the language of, again, Second World War. Together, we are tackling this disease, and I want to reassure you that if we remain united and resolute, then we will overcome it. I hope in the years to come, Everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to these challenges. The BBC prized the speech as one designed to reassure and to inspire. But you can agree, it sounds really <laughs> cool. I mean, this speech. And uh, yes, as we already also mentioned, uh, the main role is unity, right? Mm. Of nation, of country. I think for the Queen Elizabeth, you have also another thing that she's charismatic also. Yeah, that's And uh, to be queen since, I don't remember, maybe 63 years right now, you mm. need to be very charismatic to lead a country like Great Britain. Yeah, that's true. And one more reason. England's short-lived fling with republicanism immunized the kingdom against it. Actually, did you know about this part of history of England, about republicanism? I have never no. heard about <laughs> this. Yes. So, the monarchy hasn't been one long, unbroken chain of kings and queens, as I thought, for example. So, did you know that in the middle of the 17th century, England had no king at all? 
Oh. Yeah, King Charles first butted heads with the English Parliament so frequently that it led to the English Civil War, which in turn led to Charles' beheading in 1649. England became Republican Commonwealth, what is a state with no king, under the protectorship of Oliver Cromwell. I have no idea who is it. Really, I really like history of Britain and I also read a lot of books and, you know, have seen a lot of movies about uh, Queen Elizabeth, about... Victoria, uh, Yeah, TV show about Queen Victoria, I really like it. But I have never heard about this part of English history. But But you said the name Cromwell, yes? Yes. Yes, I heard this, I think that was a general in the British army, if I remember well, but I'm not sure. But I already earned this name. Maybe okay. now I remember the name, but not the fact exactly. Yes, <laughs> the same. <laughs> okay, so the Kingless Commonwealth was short-lived. However, after Cromwell's passing in 1658, the monarchy was restored and Charles' first son returned from exile to rule as Charles II. As historian Sarah Gristwood theorizes, England's period without a monarchy ultimately protected the institution in the long term. We executed King Charles I at a time, 1649, when the major states of Europe hardly knew an alternative to monarchy. After that, we were immunized against revolution and the immunity has lasted until the present day, obviously. <laughs> yeah, like, why not? Maybe, I like lo- a theory. I love the term immunity of revolution. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> For me, it's <laughs> kind of joke. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it can be, why not? That's also a point. Yeah. And also in UK, monarchs are subject to parliament. Since the English Civil War, again in 17th century, Parliament has demonstrated again and again that the monarch must submit to its will. That conviction was put to the test in 1688 in a bid to keep England and the monarchy Protestant. Parliament ousted King James II. Again, I have no idea who is it, but anyway, he was a Catholic. And Parliament invited his Protestant daughter Mary and her husband William to rule in his place. So, the so-called Glorious Revolution affirmed that Parliament, not the monarch, was really in charge. It wasn't a peaceful transfer of power, however, since it led to violence in England, Scotland and Ireland. Fully understanding who put them on the throne, William and Mary endorsed the Bill of Rights, which we also mentioned several times, which affirmed that the monarchy was subject to parliament, not the other way around. So the monarch's power was officially limited again. And maybe that's a, I don't know, that's a key of success of English monarchy. <laughs> And over the centuries, Parliament has uh, again and again demonstrated that it calls the shots with the monarchy. And since the Protestant Queen Mary II and her husband King William didn't have children, the line of succession wasn't totally secure. And 
parliament feared that a Catholic would somehow claim the throne. So parliament settled the question of succession with the Act of Settlement in 1701. It confirmed that Mary's Protestant sister Anne would inherit the throne if she didn't have her own children. And tragically, Anne never had a child survive into adulthood despite her 17 or more pregnancies. And then the crown would pass to a distant cousin, the Protestant Electress Sophia of Hanover. So actually, Parliament decided who would inherit the throne. And uh, that's almost exactly what happened in 1714. The line of succession leapfrogged over no less than 50 people, can you imagine, in the line of succession, all of whom were Catholic, to put Sophia's son George on the throne, yeah, because they were Protestant. The act of settlement showed that the line of succession wasn't permanent, but it could be manipulated according to Parliament's will. Last reasons, but not least, the monarch isn't above paying taxes anymore. I also actually didn't know it. The issue of taxation has been known to make or break monarchies. After all, the American colonies ousted George III with the cry of no taxation without representation. An inequitable tax system was one of the sparks that ignited the French Revolution. (laughs) And the road to the English Civil War was paved by Charles' conflict with Parliament, our money. So, Queen Elizabeth understands that people expect her to pay taxes. And since 1992, she has paid income tax in a bit too reiterate that she is not above the law. That's really interesting. I have never heard that uh, Queen Elizabeth pays taxes. It's even <laughs> sound. I didn't, I, didn't, did? I didn't know this information. Yeah. Okay, about the principle, yes, no taxation without the representation mm-hmm. because we have an article in Italy in our tax uh, legislation. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, the main point is that... Um, Politicians can't decide to impose a tax without uh, the consent of the parliament because it is expression of the population. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. So now we know. <laughs> <laughs> and some claim that monarchy is a cash cow for British tourism. <laughs> some claim that for the monarchy costs money to maintain. It's a royal bargain. In 2017, for example, every British taxpayer contributed only 69 cents to the running of the monarchy. That same year, the crown may have helped, (laughs) so we cannot know exactly, but may have helped to generate 550 million pounds in tourism revenue to the nation. So the British royal family serves as global ambassadors and the mystic of monarchy attracts tourists mm-hmm. and their money, of course, to the UK. And yeah, why not? That also sounds logically for me. I think not like one exact reason helped 
the British monarchy survived, but like complex of these reasons. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the short history of Great Britain. <laughs> yeah, because for us it's more well known country with monarchy and so for this reason it's uh, really interesting to look at uh, this example and don't forget we are not experts in history yes especially <laughs> in great britain history even yeah. the french history is complicated to learn so i don't even know yeah after the revolution it's just a mess to understand which type of government that we got <laughs> so guys we spent I don't know, half an hour speaking <laughs> about United Kingdom. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the most known uh -huh. monarchy in the world right now. Yeah, for me. but what about other countries with yeah. monarchy? <laughs> for me, I know, yes, the Belgium, Denmark, uh, Norway, Sweden, Spain, of course, Great Britain, and Japan, if I remember. And that's all. I don't know if there are other monarchy or type of monarchy in the world. I don't know. And Monaco, I forgot Monaco. Almost. <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> Good, Larian. Yes, because kings and queens are not just a thing of the past. Even today, many countries have their own monarchy. But over the years, it has changed forms and has undergone some changes in power. For example, there are very few absolute monarchies today. On the other hand, parliamentary ones predominate. Constitutional monarchies are also in decline. Let's see what monarchies exist in Europe today. We can try to give an overview of mm -hmm. the 12 contemporary European monarchies and their rulers. I think it's interesting because yeah, for sure. nobody of us yes. No, We have 12 contemporary European monarchies? Yeah, yeah. can you imagine? <laughs> we are so we are bad. <laughs> we wow. even didn't know it. Yeah, but now time to find out. Yes. So the first one, Belgium, the neighbors of French. So the former government is the federal parliamentary monarchy. And the name of the rulers is Flippo. And the year of the monarchy began in 1831, and the Belgian monarchy of a parliamentary type does not see an immediate passage to power in the events of the death of its predecessors. The new king is elected only after the constitutional oaths. The Belgian monarchy has always conformed to the principles of the liberal revolution. And that's why we heard a lot about the Belgian government in France that mm -hmm. was no government until six months in Belgium, in a row. Oh, really? Yeah, that was funny to see in France, but uh, for them, I think that was not funny. When was it? Oh, that was uh, a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago now. Ah, really? Yeah, that was quite young. Interesting. And how did they manage? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but they still we, we just, exist we as was, a country. We were spectators at uh, this time. Okay, so you had an opportunity <laughs> to <laughs> okay. add it to France. <laughs> okay, we had an opportunity to retake Belgium and not fight versus the England because we have Napoleon and, <laughs> for example, we have Waterloo that was in Belgium and we lose. That was a shame. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we speak about Napoleon after. Okay, so which country is next? I think the most known, UK. Yeah. We can so skip. Yeah, we, we can. I think we can skip UK because... <laughs> After the presentation of Xenia about UK, we will go to a Scandinavian country, Denmark. 
So first one, I didn't even know that was a monarchy. So the first is the form of government is the parliamentary monarchy and the name of the ruler is Margaret II. And the year of the monarchy began in 933. Mm-hmm. So it's quite old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the Danish monarchy is also one of the most historic in the world. The first king who unified the 10th fragmented kingdom of Denmark was Haroldo I, the first. Tooth blue. Tooth blue. Like Bluetooth. Yes. And <laughs> y- you, you lost about this, but that's why Bluetooth was named like this. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's not a joke. The wow. symbols of Bluetooth is the symbol of the king. So many knowledges oh today. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear listeners, I hope you are enjoying <laughs> these wow. new knowledges. So it's possible to teach history in a funny way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Bluetooth, yes, that was the symbol of the king of Denmark. <laughs> so until the um, 20th century, Denmark was the constitutional monarchy. And before that, until 1660, an absolute monarchy. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. And we skip in a small, small country between, if I remember, well, Switzerland and Australia, Liechtenstein. So, except the name are basically impossible to pronounce. The form of government is a constitutional monarchy and the name of the sovereign. In it's John Adam. It's like Italian, I think, yes. way to Giovanni Adamo. Giovanni Adamo. Giovanni Adamo <laughs> and Luigi. Luigi. Okay. And the year of the monarchy began in 16... More than a monarchy, in the case of Liechtenstein, is the refer to the principality. The first prince was Charles I, who reigned from 1608 to 1627. The current prince, John Adams II, in 2004, handed over decision-making power on his son, Louis. And I have an interesting fact about Liechtenstein. Unlike other countries, the head of state is not king or a queen, but rather a prince. Yeah, like Monaco. Yeah, but that's also interesting. Why? What's the difference? Because uh, I don't understand why in some... You're on the top and you're just a prince. Yeah, but like he is a ruler. Yeah. <laughs> There's no king or queen. I don't know. That's interesting. And also interesting fact. Princess Angela of Liechtenstein, she is wife of Prince Maximilian, and he is the second son of the current Prince John Adam II. Yeah, really difficult, but you can concentrate. Okay, Prince Maximilian, the second son of current Prince, and his wife, Princess Angela, or Angela. So, she was the first person of African decent to marry into a European royal family because she was born in Panama. And that's also really interesting because it's not so common, you know, think like... It's unique. Yes, that's unique. And also that's interesting. Of course, um, I think all royal families somehow are connected. So today the Liechtenstein family is actually in the one line of succession to the British crown. So... We, wow. have the, we have the same, yeah. In the, our history, France got a lot of dissidents all over the world. For example, the Spanish king come from France. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also have in Russia, but we will discuss it yes. later. So. so the next country is also a neighbor of France. It's Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. So except all the rich people go to Luxembourg, it's a monarchy, a parliamentary monarchy, a grand duchy. And the name of the ruler is Henry. 
and the year of the monarchy began in 963. And the history of the Duchy of Luxembourg has its origin towards to the end of the first century. In 1815, Duchy of Luxembourg was elevated to the title of Great Duchy. Luxembourg is currently a parliamentary monarchy with legislative power entrusted to unicameral parliament. And we go back to the north with the Norway. Norway is a parliamentary monarchy also, and the name of the ruler is Harald V. And the start of this monarchy starts in 872, so it's very old. And despite the initial occurrence information, it's estimated that the kingdom of Norway began at this date with Harald I. Today, the king's functions are mainly ceremonial. Is also formally appointed the ministers. And I also have some information about Norway, about this country. I know something because we have a border between Russia and Norway and my parents live next to this border. So they quite often go to Norway, for example. And mm -hmm. that's interesting that King of Norway is one of the poorest monarchs in the world. <laughs> Seriously? Yes. Why? <laughs> and... This royal family lives the most modest life compared to the other royal families in Europe, especially if we are talking about Monaco or Luxembourg or so on. And the members of this family dress in a very simple way. If you check some photos, you will notice it, even at formal events. And uh, moreover, they don't live on the money of taxpayers but instead try to earn money themselves. That's also really interesting, and that's not common for royal family. And, uh, for example, Prince Hakon, together with some local band, recorded a single for Christmas, and the success of this song was mind-blowing. All the money Hakon made from this collaboration was donated to charity. And can you imagine a royal family member using public transport. That's Aww. impossible. That's impossible to imagine in Russia, even with some, I don't know, ministers. Because how? We, That's so cool. Even in France, it's impossible to imagine. We have, we got, we had a president, François Hollande, that comes to the Elysee in scooters. Wow. That was very funny, but not very security. Yeah. Because you're the representation of your country, so mm -hmm. you can go out of the street. Yeah. I also know it about uh, some rulers in Scandinavian countries. I'm not sure now, maybe about Sweden, because, uh, yes, they also use subway as a ordinary people. That's so cool. But people in Norway don't get surprised when they see the prince taking a ride on the same train with them. And that's really, really nice thing. And also the royal family doesn't fly to go vacation on a private island, doesn't hide behind the high fence and doesn't hire brutal bodyguards. For example, during one summer, the crown prince went to Ibiza with his family where they were sunbathing together with other vacationers. But so, really, so So you can surprising. be on the beach and next to you is the Prince of Norway. Yes, and, and, <laughs> <It's so funny. laughs> and, and how we discussed in the beginning, we even would not know because we <laughs> even don't know how we look well, like. Well, you come from Norway, hmm? Beautiful okay. country. <laughs> <laughs> What wow. is your job? <laughs> Off. 
Yeah, but so it's a normal people. <laughs> yeah, so we're really close to their nation. But yeah, but cool. this is also the Scandinavian spirit. Also. Yes, yes, That's they, why. in general, they lifestyle. And I really like this idea. Mm. When I went to Finland, yeah, the spirit of Scandinavian country was amazing for me. Even yeah. it's not a monarchy in Finland, but anyway, the people uh, um, are so friendly and so on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the same in Norway and Sweden. Yes, yes, the same. And also I really like the lifestyle because of minimalism. They, that's also maybe the point why, mm. like, as you also said, royal family is a representation of nation. And that's also why they don't need a lot of things like, you know, fancy cars, <laughs> and so private well. plane. Yes. I didn't know this aspect. Now I'm curious. I would like to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you will be surprised. That's really interesting. We will go back to our subject. This is the monarchy. Right now we have also the Netherlands. So mm-hmm. the former government, the constitutional monarchy with the ruler William Alexander and the monarchy began in 1747. Also, the kingdom of the Netherlands exists before. It was only in 1747 that the constitutional monarchy was officially declared, which later became a parliamentary. Also in the case that the king has a mainly ceremonial role, executive power is in the end of the government. Only one reason why I knew about monarchy in Netherlands when I visited Amsterdam, it was in May. And, you know, Amsterdam also is famous because of tulips. Of course. And uh, there was, like, there is every year in May, I don't really remember dates, some event like... Um, tulip festival? Yes, kind of festival, I don't really remember. And it also the same day with birthday of king or something oh. <laughs> like that. Yes. So in Amsterdam, every apartment, every hotel was occupied because of this event. <laughs> wow. for, for me, yeah. for Netherlands, I only know that they got uh, a monarchy for a sports event. Ah, <laughs> okay. So that's why. And we continue with another place with a big sports event, but also a big known monarchy, Monaco, and also a lot of casino. So Monaco, <laughs> it's a constitutional monarchy. And first, it's a principality, like you say, Xenia, like Liechtenstein. So the name of the ruler is Albert II, and the start of monarchy began in 1287. Also in the case of Monaco, we speak of the principality. The current prince is Albert II, since 1911, the Principality of Monaco has been hereditary constitutional monarchy with a single chamber system of government. And by the way, Prince Albert II is also one of the richest members of the royal family in the world. If you live in Monaco, you you are rich. rich. (laughs) Yes. Uh, of and course. yeah, with more than one billion dollars in assets. Oof, that's quite yeah. a lot. Let's compare, yes, with yes. Norway royal family. <laughs> and we go in another French neighbor, Spain. Mm-hmm. So the former government is parliamentary monarchy and the name of the ruler is Philip VI. And the year of monarchy began in 1479. The Spanish monarchy has a glorious history in sovereignty beyond it. For several centuries, the royals of Spain were at the head of the vast colonial empire. Today, the king has the representative role as a guarantor to unity and democracy. I, yes, again, had no idea <laughs> about 
monarchy in Spain before, but I have noticed Spanish people don't really like because <laughs> the if king. I remember well, the king of Spain just go away of the country for some reason. I don't remember the reason, but he go away. Went away. He left. Or <laughs> away. Yes, he left. Uh, he, he left the country. <laughs> For some reasons. For yeah. some reason, I don't okay. know. We we need to ask to Maite and Gloria about yeah, this. Yeah, I also don't know, but yes, that's what I noticed. Like we usually say something, okay, not bad, but you know, not respectful about, not like British people in general about <laughs> yes. British royal family. And we go back to the north with the Sweden. So... It's a parliamentary monarchy, and the name of the sovereign is Carlo the Sixteenth Gustavo. Mm-hmm. And the start of the monarchy began in 945. And the history of the Swedish kings is also very old and alternate between different families. Parliamentarism, already present three centuries ago, was reintroduced in 1917 by Gustav V of Sweden. And fun fact about Sweden: some one of the king was French. Mm, it really? was a general of Napoleon mm-hmm. and the Swedish just proposed to his general, can you be the king? And he <laughs> accept the role. Easy. And right now, if <laughs> I... Yes, easy. And right now, if I remember well, this is the dissident. And actually, Sweden is one of the world's most stable, right, democracies. Mm. And that's also interesting. With a monarchy that has strong roots and public support. That's really interesting for me. And uh, as head of state, the king of Sweden's foremost unifying symbol. And according to the 1974 constitution, the monarch has no political affinity and no formal powers. The king's duties are mainly of a ceremonial and representative nature, actually like in many European countries. But also what's interesting the Queen Sylvia is the first Swedish queen to have had a professional career. Can you imagine oh. also? <laughs> Again, about Scandinavian countries. Queen, which had a job, a real job, okay, <laughs> if we think... Uh, I think this queen <laughs> is competent. Duty. Yeah. And also about Crown Princess Victoria. She is a daughter of uh, King. So when she succeeds her father, Crown Princess Victoria will become Sweden's 17th monarch and the fourth female monarch in the history of kingdom and the first since 1720. And also that's interesting, already before Victoria was born in 1977, there were discussions about changing the Succession Act and make it gender neutral. So the change eventually took place in 1980, after she was born, but was made retroactive, which immediately changed Victoria's title from princess to crown princess. So (laughs) they changed it, how to say. Or this title. (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting because, I don't know, maybe that's not first case, but that's first case about which I heard uh, that they changed with um, succession act and made it gender neutral because, you know, in history, usually <laughs> we know men, men. <laughs> ruled mm-hmm. the world. Yes. Okay, let's continue for the two last monarchy in Europe. So the Vatican. 
That's it's so surprise, such a surprise for me. Vatican monarchy, how, why? So the form of government is an elective, eurocratic, absolute theocratic monarchy. Wow, so much name in this form yes, of government. Yes, and for me, nothing, nothing is clear. And the name of the ruler is the Pope Francis. And mm. the monarch- I think it's more formal than mm-hmm. yes. And the, the year of the monarchy began in 752. Okay, that's already strange. Like with, I don't know, country inside country. <laughs> Vatican is in general a strange thing for me. <laughs> yes. But that they also have a monarchy, like some type of monarchy. That's a big surprise. And here is the longest monarchy in the world, the mm-hmm. papal one, enforced from the 752 to 1870 with the name of the papal state and since 1929 as the state of the Vatican City. The monarchy of the Vatican City is absolute and also defined as eurocratic. Mm-hmm. That is, with the sovereignty exercised in the symbolic way by the divinity. It's an election monarchy. It's quite strange to okay. put election and it's, monarchy yes, in the same... That's <laughs> absolute, but election. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know something about <laughs> and the last monarchy. W- the last one is also one of the most curious. It's Andorra. So the form of government is parliamentary diarchy. It's a principality. And the name of sovereign is very strange. So it's both prince. Uh-huh. The prince Juan Enrique Vives, bishop of the La Seu d'Urgel, and the prince of Emmanuel Macron, the French president. Ah, oh, really? Yes. When Macron we... is the prince of Andorra? No. What? The oh. president of France is automatically the prince of Andorra. If you get elected French president, ah. you get the title prince of Andorra. Really? Yeah. Oh, ha- wow. <laughs> How? I don't Why? know. <laughs> But he's not from royal family. He's just a like no, no, it's, president it's just a title. in our country. We don't use it. <laughs> Nobody knows how to use because Andorra is just <gasps> here in the Alps. Oh my God! So Andorra is a micro state located in the Pyrenees between Spain and France. Its co-principality is in the parliamentary type and is defined as diarchy, since the regency belongs to two persons exercing the same power with equal dignity the Andorran co-principalities and the president of France of the wow. bishop of Spanish city of La Seu d'Urgel. But how can they manage this? How can they devote this know. power? I like, don't know. How can they rule the that country? Would be a, I think th- this is a, a very mess in this <gasps> country to organize. I don't know. Actually, now I'm also curious and uh, I think I will read something about <laughs> Andorra government. Because I have no idea how it's possible to manage it. It's so, so strange. And change the prince every five years, because in France, our election oh, is yeah, every yeah. five years. So every five True. years, they got a new prince True. of France. <laughs> but can he or she, I mean, president of France, use some, I don't know, benefits? Of <laughs> this? Maybe yeah, so uh, this summer vacation? <laughs> I don't, I don't really know. Why not? That's interesting. I'm not president. I would like, but no, I don't want, but... Okay, guys, we spoke about lots of monarchy in Europe, but what about our countries? Who uh, wants to start? Of Francesc- course you, come on. <laughs> oh, <me>. French monarchy. <laughs> okay, so yes, in France, we got a lots of monarchy. And right now we have kind of legacy of this monarchy because we have three pretenders to be king of empire of France. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Right See, now. So it, yes, it's right, possible. Right now. It right could now. be true. So we have a lot of things. So since the 2nd of August 1830, that of the abdiction of the King Charles the tenth, mm-hmm. followed by the 24th February 1848, the date of abdiction of the King of the French, Louis-Philippe the first, and finally the 4th of September 1870, date of the abdiction of Emperor Napoleon III, the crown of France has been mainly disputed between three houses with different claimants. The current eldest branch of Capetian, mm-hmm. since the childish death of the Count of Chambord in 1883, the Bourbon-Anjou, with Louis de Bourbon, Duke of Anjou. So that was the first pretendant. The second is the current younger branch, the Orléans with Jean d'Orléans, Comte of Paris. And the third one is the Bonaparte with Jean-Christophe Napoleon. So these three people is currently alive and can pretend mm-hmm. to when. So like we can see maybe one day monarchy in France. Yes, but this title currently held by member of this family or courtoisie title. They are n- traditionally accepted but have no legal existence. And at the heads of the family that reign to not have the power under the law of the Republic mm-hmm. to grant mark of honor and distraction title. And except the people, we have also architecture, we can say, a lot of castles everywhere. For example, mm-hmm. the Chateau of the Loire Valley is the UNESCO World Heritage Site since 2000 with the most known like Chambord and Chenonceau, around 3,000 castles in this area and form the largest concentration of such monuments in the world. And we have also Versailles, also a World Heritage Site since 1979, is the most known castle in France and maybe one of the most in the world. And we have also some legacy about Napoleon. He made a lot of things. He created high school in France, He created university, he created one of the most well-known military schools, Saint-Cyr. He made the degree also in high school, the baccalaureate. He created the National Order of the Legion. It's the most highest distinction for a civil or military. We have also some administrations like the Council of State, the Territorial Division, the Court of Auditor, and so on. We have also the Civil Code, the Court of Appeals and Replacement by the Court of Appel, the Court of Cassation, the Labor Court in Lyon, the Code of Civil Procedure and the Code of Offense and Penalties is replaced by the Code of Criminal Instruction and the Abolition of the Slave Trade. So that's all results of Napoleon's yes. work. Yes, mm-hmm. and also the Bank of France, the creation of Germinal Frank, the Code of Commerce. And he also made a lot of monuments like the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. Mm-hmm. He renovated a lot of things, a lot of bridges in Paris, but he also made something in Milan, the Place of Peace, if I translate, but uh, I have the name in French, it's the Place de la Paix in Milan, and he made this. So we also made something in Italy. So actually, he made a lot of good things in France, but yeah. it didn't help him <laughs> anyway <laughs> yes. to survive. Yes, because he lost Waterloo and I think mm. all the opposite party and so mm. on just push it away. And mm. he came back in France <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because Napoleon was never defeated. And yes, he made a lot of things. He made also a lot of bad things, but he created a mm. lot of good things also in France that we use today also. Okay, at least some things about French monarchy I knew. But honestly, 
I don't know much about Italian one. So, Francesca, could you tell us? In Italy, on June 2nd, 1946, a referendum was held which allowed Italians to choose between monarchy and republic. At that time, Italian soil was under Allied occupation and Italy still lacked its national sovereignty. The Italians, however, didn't make the safest choice but focused on the future. They didn't confirm the monarchy and voted for a republic. Thus, altogether, they assumed responsibility for the country. There were many pushes in the opposite direction in favor of a monarchy. A large part of the army and public administration was linked to it. The Allies viewed the Republic with concern and the British in particular wanted the monarchy. Furthermore, conservative forces were very strong in southern Italy. Mm -hmm. And here, on 2nd June 1946, they voted for the king, largely prevailed, with peaks over 80% in Naples, Bari and Catania. Much of the ecclesiastic world supported the monarchy. Instead, although not by much, the Republic won with 12 million votes against 10 million in favor of the monarchy. But the behavior of King Vittorio Emanuele III certainly had great weight. The behavior of him had a decisive influence on the end of the monarchy in Italy. In particular, its selfishness, mm -hmm. its pettiness and its brutal disinterest in the fate of the Italians. He was among the main leaders of the fascist dictatorship. On October 28, 1922, in fact, after the march on Rome, instead of proclaiming a state of siege and restoring legality, he rewarded violence and abuse and trusting the government to Mussolini. He accepted the upheaval of the liberal state inherited from his predecessors and allowed the formation of the dictatorship, becoming complicit in the persecutions of anti-fascism and Jews. Faced with the disastrous course of the war, he took no initiative and waited for the vote of the Grand Council of Fascism to change government. Having entered into an armistice with the Allies, he fled to Brindisi, leaving the state and the Italians without any reference. 8 September 1943 was therefore called the Day of Shame. The reaction to the institutional vacuum and the moral judgment on the behavior of the House of Savoy pushed a part of the Italians, who otherwise would have been in favor of the monarchy, to abandon it. Thus was born the Italian Republic. The exile from the Monarchy Republic referendum of June 1946 prevented the Savoy family from returning to their homeland for 57 years. The 13th final transitional provision, which for almost six years had kept the Savoy away from the Italian borders, was abrogated. And today, finally, the heir of the house of the kings of Italy is Vittoria di Savoia. Vittorio Emanuele, her father, appointed her Princess of Carignano and Marquis of Ivrea, two cities in Piedmont in northern Italy, mm -hmm. at the age of 16. Okay, that's interesting. Eh? Now there is peace. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. I, did, I didn't precise, but for, I think, almost known for the French why we don't have any monarchy, we got a little revolution for 10 years. That's quite a long. Until the 5th of May 1789, until the 9th of November 1799. And our national day is the 4th of July. And in Russia? What about Russia? <laughs> 
First of all, I want to note that some people believe there is a monarchy in Russia nowadays. No way. <laughs> Because, you know, Putin has been ruling the country for 21 years. Sometimes behaves as a Tsar. But that's in our story. The abdication of Nicholas II on the 5th of March 1917 marked the end of the empire and uh, its ruling Romanov dynasty. The last Russian emperor with his wife Alexandra, and that's also interesting, she was a granddaughter of Queen Victoria, and their five children was killed by the Bolsheviks. I cannot deeply analyze the reasons uh, for the fall of monarchy because I'm not an expert on history again. That's really difficult. But the defeat of Russian Empire in the war with Japan, in effective reforms of local officials, the growing social crisis, and actually a lot of uh, factors But the defeat of Russian Empire in the war with Japan, in effective reforms of local officials, the growing social crisis, are the factors that shook the authority of Emperor Nicholas II in the eyes of the public. And uh, yes, he wasn't really strong leader. I don't know how to call it. So that was combination of these reasons. Have you ever, I don't know, thought, imagined what would be if your country still had a monarchy? Because that's really interesting. I personally don't really like Soviet Union. So after like fall of Russian Empire, we had this part of history. And in my opinion, for example, <laughs> Stalin is not better than Hitler. And Of course, we cannot know what would have happened if the monarchy had survived in Russia. But, but for some reasons and also for some people, I'd like it to be true and to turn into a constitutional monarchy as in some European countries. As for me, it's the most... I even don't know how to call it. Okay, let's say right way. <laughs> balance it. No. Yes, yes, balance it, maybe, yes. So, In France... I think we will remake a revolution again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like I say, we have three pretender, pretend to get the crown of France, one of, of empire and two for kingdom. So let's them fight and see who wins. <laughs> so guys, time to finish up. In yes. conclusion, what do you think the monarchy is outdated and strange thing in 2021? Or... It has the right to exist and will always exist. I think the monarchy will exist for a long time for me. I think the Great Britain monarchy mm. will still here for, for eternity. A, not for eternity, but for a long, long time for me. I don't really know, but I hope that no one's heads will roll anymore. Yeah, but That's I think for point. me, monarchy can be with modernity. A monarchy can be modern. As we can see in Norway and yes, other Norway, Sweden, countries. and so on, that's lots of yes, modern monarchy. Prejudice without some old fashioned things. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe. And the list of um, European countries we mentioned above has certain effect given that some of the nations considered among the most advanced in the world are part of it. 
and a feeling confirmed on a global level also by the data. Seven of the 16 countries with the best quality of life, according to the United Nations, are monarchies. Only in Europe, Switzerland, Germany and Finland are exceptions. So. Yeah, and also there is a statistic that countries with monarchies are less corrupt and more trusting. Also, for example, lastly, Transparency International's Corruption Perceptions Index shows that in the top 10 countries for transparency and absence of corruption, seven of them, so seven of 10, have a king or queen as head of state. These are Denmark, New Zealand, Sweden, Norway, Netherlands, Luxembourg and Canada. So that's also a good point. Thank you guys for sharing with uh, me and our listeners this uh, information and this knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for interesting discussion that, and yes, new knowledge. Cool. <laughs> yes, about Bluetooth at least. <laughs> Listen to the New World Politics episode every Tuesday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM, 89 and 6 FM, or online on any platform for podcasts. See you next time. Bye. Bye.